Hallelujah. After three, work, three weeks of trial, we, uh, they have uh, fixed the bathrooms. We, at least we're praying for that. That those bathrooms flow free in the name of Jesus, Tom. No obstructions. Delivered from all hindrances and delay in Jesus' name. <laughs> hey, uh, we're doing a, a series on hope. So it's a new year with a new beginning. And uh, we want to activate that. And as I was praying and I asked the Lord where he wants to go, and uh, I try to presume and assume nothing. And so I asked Jesus what, what he wants to speak to you guys and how he wants to go forward. And I felt like he was been telling me, I know he's been telling me, to do a, uh, some, a series of messages on the restoration of hope. And I just feel like, you know, perhaps 2022, a lot of you have lost hope. A lot of you have been disoriented by events or circumstances that have transpired during this year, and it just seems very, very confusing. And hope is the foundation of faith. And the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for they that come to him must believe that he is and that he will reward those who seek him. And so if we don't have hope, we cannot have faith. If we do not have faith, we cannot embrace the future. Faith isn't merely the belief that Jesus is who he says he is. Faith is being convinced of God's promises to the point of action. God said it, so you're going to engage it. God said it, so you're going to step out into it. God said it, so you're going to agree with it. That's faith. This is what enables the Christian. God's promises are what enable us to draw from his divine power. First Peter says, God has given us, say it with me, great and precious promises through which we draw from the divine nature. Where do we draw from God's divine nature? How do we activate? Where's God's flow of power coming from in direct relationship to his promises, right? And that, that plays out across the board. I don't have time to fully expand that, but nonetheless, I want to talk to you again about restoration of hope. I really want you to have hope coming into this year, and I want you to have no excuses to not have hope. So probably in the coming year, you're going to be facing challenges as you boldly go into those new horizons. You're going to be facing challenges that are going to, you're going to be confronted with, and things are, are going to challenge your hope, and things are going to challenge you. So we don't want that to happen. So first of all, what is hope? Say it with me. The joyful expectation of something good. Hmm? Say this. Any area of my life where there is no hope is under the influence of a lie. Any area that feels hopeless to you is under the influence of a lie. That's the issue. Exactly. We have hope in the name of Jesus. Come back. So we have any area of your life that is not under the influence of hope is under the influence of a lie. If you believe that your job is hopeless, who told you that? If you believe that your health is hopeless, who told you that? If you believe that your marriage is hopeless, who told you that? Who told you that? Did Jesus say it was hopeless? If Jesus didn't say it was hopeless, then it's not hopeless. I'm not saying it's not saying it's hopeless to you. Your circumstances speak, people around you speak. You know, there's lots of voices speaking to us, but we subordinate to one voice, Christian, and that's the Lord's voice. What happens in our life when we subordinate to a voice that is not our father's, we become slaves to that voice. If you subordinate yourself to the voice of fear, to fear you will become a slave too. The Bible says that. Who, to whom you submit yourself to, that's whose master becomes. That's not just in this arcing sense of salvation. That's in these areas of our life. Hope, say it with me. Hope, come on now, this is going to be good. Hope does not deny the problem. Hope denies the problem a place of influence you understand that hope is not saying there isn't a problem but hope says this problem is not going to be the influence hope says that the problem no matter how bad the problem is not going to influence me faith is going to influence me hope is going to influence me this is how the game is played so you look at you look at your circumstances and your circumstances start telling you hey man you got a problem you're broke right but that brokenness is not going to influence me. That's there. But my hope is not in my circumstances. My hope is in the Lord. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Lord my God has given me the ability to obtain wealth that I might establish his covenant in the land. Which one are you going to believe? Right? You have a choice in the matter. Heaven is activated through choices. The spirit world is, uh, aligns with agreements. With agreements. What we agree with. 
is what we align with. The devil had no power over Adam until he could bring Adam into an agreement. He had no authority at all. Adam had total dominion over the, over, the, over the devil until the devil brought him into an agreement, until the devil got him to subordinate himself to a voice that was not his father's. And when, as soon as Adam subordinated himself to a voice that was not his father's, he lost everything. And what did the Lord say? Who told you that? It's the first words out of the Lord's mouth. Who told you you were naked? Whose voice have you been listening to that is not mine? And we see that. We see from the beginning, this is how the game is played. And so the enemy is always going to try to get you to come into an agreement with your circumstances. So the enemy speaks a lie and he creates a facade around the lie to get you into an agreement. Right? He'll create a reality. Right? So he'll tell you, you're broke. And then he'll create a reality around you where you're broke. Right? But reality is not truth. Say it with me. Reality is not truth. Right? This is why we're peculiar people. Because we believe things that are not as though, we call things that are not as though they were. Right? The, reality, you're, the truth is that, the, the Lord, that God is with you and God will provide for you. The truth is, is that God, you have, there is more ability, I could quote you verses, well, just, you know, my God will supply all of my needs. Right? Uh, lions do hunger and suffer lack, but the righteous will never be forsaken. I've been young and I've been old and the righteous have never been forsaken, nor have their seed been begging for bread. Right? That's the truth. And what we want, what the enemy is trying to get you to do is come into an agreement with the lie and with the reality. What God wants you to do is come into agreement with the truth. Reality has feelings, truth does not. Reality has feelings, faith does not. Everybody's waiting for the feeling of faith. Faith has no feeling. Faith, say it with me. Faith has no feeling. Oh, I just don't have the faith. Yes, you do. Faith is certainty, faith is clarity. That's all it is. It has no feeling. There's no feeling to faith. It's just clear. You know what I'm talking about? You just know. You don't know why you know, you just know. You're just sure. You're not really why you're sure, but you're sure you're sure. How sure are you? I'm very sure that I'm sure that I'm sure. I don't know why I'm sure, but I'm sure. That's faith. It's a certainty. You don't have faith in and of yourself. I'll just tell you on faith. There are just some people here, I feel people are feeling faith, right? If you look to, say it with me, if I look to myself for faith, I've already lost. Just let you marinate on that. If you look to yourself for faith, you've already lost. You don't have it. Oh, I have the measure of faith. Yeah, you've been given the measure of faith. Faith comes from God. Faith is not innate to the humans. God has given to us a measure of faith, a measure. And the measure of faith is a seed that we sow to partner with his faith have the faith of God. I don't look to myself for faith. I look to the Lord for faith. What do you say, Lord? I say victory and not defeat. I say above only, not beneath. And if you hear any other voices than that, you're not hearing the voice of your father. Right? What does he say? What does he say? God will let you borrow his faith. His faith is perfect. Did you know that? Jesus isn't doubting. Jesus isn't doubting anything. He's absolutely sure. Oh, I'm going down, I'm going down. Lord, what do you say? Am I going down? You're not going down. I'm going under, I'm going under. Lord, what do you say? You're going over. And absolutely nothing in your life looks like you're going over. Can I get a witness? But you go over. Anybody know that experience? It looks bad. The ship's leaking. The sail's broke. It's horrible, right? No hope at all. And the Lord says, uh, we're going to win. <laughs> Lord, I got a pair of twos. How are we going to win? I can win with a pair of twos. A pair of twos is all I need, you know? Jesus can win with anything. He, he, he doesn't like to lose, Christian. He doesn't like to lose. And even if you experience, you don't experience defeat, you experience setbacks. That's all that happens. Say it with me. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. The believer bounces. The, the momentum of the setback creates a momentum into the future where you expand beyond where you were. This, he, you cannot lose with the Lord. You can't. You can lose with you. You can lose with people. You can lose with places. You can lose with things. But you can't lose with Jesus. He's never lost. And you know what he doesn't like to do? He doesn't like to lose. That's why our life is built in him, with him, and through him. Every single thing of my life is in and with and through. Because even if I suffer a setback, I'm coming back, right? If you build it and you lose it, well, good luck. There's no guarantee on that. 
But if the Lord builds it with you, it's coming back. You can mark that down. You can write yourself a check and cash it because that's going to happen. No, Jesus doesn't lose anything. He loses nothing. Hope does not deny the problem. Hope denies the problem a place of influence. You can let the circumstances influence you. You can let the problems influence you. You can let everything around you influence you. Or you can make a heartfelt determination that this will not influence me. This will influence me. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, I will stand in hope. God said it. God has promised me. This is the communion of the Spirit. This is how we learn to hear Him. We learn to abide in Him. We learn His voice, Christian. His voice matters. He has a promise through His Word. He has a promise through His voice. He has a promise through His people. You will not lose. Say this with me. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. Hope is trust in the character and nature of Jesus. How do we know hope is Jesus? Well, it says it in a couple of places, but this is a real clear one. God is an eternal plan, Colossians 1.27, if you want to know. God in his eternal plan chose to make known to them, that is, all the witnesses around him. God is going to make something known, a plan that he has had from the foundation of the earth, which I will take a people that is not a people. I will take a bunch of ragtag know-nothings, and I will inform them, and I will put my power in them, and I will put my glory in them, and I will unify them, and I will do something great in the earth. That's his purpose. He chose this. This is his choice. Jesus doesn't choose the well-equipped. He equips the call, but he chooses the broken, the outcast, the wanting, the needy, right? You can come from a good background, but you can still have brokenness in your... Jesus chooses the broken. He chooses what no one else wants. He doesn't choose the sophisticated. He makes you sophisticated, but he doesn't choose the sophisticated. He chooses the hungry. He chooses those that desire him more than they desire anything else. That's who he chooses. Ezekiel, he searches the earth looking for those whose, whose hearts are fully his, that he might show himself strong. That's what he's looking for. God chose in his eternal plan to reveal to all people how great his plan is and what are the riches of the glory of his mystery in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope is a person. Is Jesus in you, the hope of glory. You want to know if, you, if you're a Christian and you want to know if you have hope, you just get to, you carry a mirror around in your pocket, right? Ladies, your purse, right? You want to know if it's hopeless. You put the mirror underneath your nose and you breathe. And if the mirror fogs, there's hope, right? If the mirror doesn't fog, well, there's no more hope. So long as that mirror is fogging, I don't care how bad it looks, there's hope. Because the person of Jesus is still alive in you. And Jesus doesn't lose. He's, he's the God of the restoration. It's what he does. He's in the restoration and the rec- reclamation business. Doesn't matter. He'll bring it back. Have hope. The Bible says this, those who forget God have no hope. This is what happens. When, we have a, when we're in a hopeless situation, we've forgotten the Lord. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we are. We don't, we, somewhere, when, when there's no hope, it's like, wait a second, wake up. This is what David did in Ziklag. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Talk about the worst day of your life. This dude had the worst day of his life. The worst day of his life. I want to do a message off it. I want to call it what to do with the worst day of your life. You know? And Ziklag. So David, so here's the story. I'll give you the narrative. David is anointed to be king. He's being hunted by this guy named Saul. Saul doesn't want him to be king. He's God's chosen king. So if you think you have an anointing and you think you have God's calling on your life and you're being hunted, well, you just might be in God's will, right? Because David had an anointing and David was hunted mercilessly and relentlessly. And David, all he did was run. For probably 10 to 12 years, he was on the run, at least. They estimated between 10 and 13 years, David was on the run. Imagine, we act like it's 10 months. Imagine living in caves for 10 years. You know, this is what happens. Anyway, he's running, and David is running, and Saul's hunting him relentlessly. The king, the current king, he's hunting David relentlessly. David goes to his brothers, he goes to Judah. He goes, that's where David was from. He was from the tribe of Judah. All the other tribes had rejected him, so now he's among the tribe of Judah, and Judah rejects him. He was, when, he came, when he became rejected by his brothers, David just, he broke down. He lost it, and he went and lived with the, with the Philistines, and the Philistines were the enemies. The Philistines were the godless, and so David went and lived in a godless culture in a godless way, right? The king of Israel, King David, lived among the godless, Right? Partied with the godless, have, going through a period of rejection in his life because of all of the difficulties that he had experienced. And he's there, and they're getting ready to go out to war. 
and the kings of, Philistine, of the Philistines are going out against Israel. And David and his army shows up because he's loyal to these Philistine kings because they've accepted him. And the Philistine kings say, we don't want you to go to war with us, David, because you're a Hebrew. If you go out there and you start seeing some of your friends in the battle, well, you may not want to fight. And in fact, you might turn against us. So we don't want you to fight. And so David's like, cool. And he went back home, right? They sent him home. Well, when he gets back home, everything's gone. Amalekites or raiders had come and taken everything. They took his wives, his children. Well, he wasn't married at the time, but they took it. there were people with him that were. They took the wives, they took the children, they took all their possessions, and they burned their houses. And so David's leaving this entourage of people, this ragtag band, and, and they show up, and their, ben, their Mercedes is gone. You know, their, their boat's gone. Their, everything that they had, their house is gone. Everything is gone. He has nothing. And the people that are with him are like, we're going to kill you right? It's your fault. You let us here. You created this circumstance. It's your fault. And what did David do? Anybody know? One of the most famous verses in the Bible. David encouraged himself in the Lord. So we go, well, David encouraged himself in the Lord. When did David encourage himself in the Lord? When people were going to kill him, right? He just lost everything. There was no reason for David to have hope. No reason at all. It would look hopeless. And it probably in his mind and in his heart, God has forsaken me. What worth is this anointing God has given me? You know, if all I'm doing is running around, all I'm doing is hiding, but he never did that, you know. So God, he remembered the Lord and he remembered his hopelessness was because he had forgotten God. I'm hopeless because I've forgotten the Lord. And he began to call upon the Lord and he called for the priest and he called for the ephod. He began to spiritually encounter God again and the Lord gave him the answer and told him exactly what to do. You say, well, why didn't God give him the answer long before? Because David wasn't asking the answer, wasn't looking for the answer. He didn't care. David was living his life in Ziklag, hanging out, oons, 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 you know, doing his thing. Didn't matter to him. But you can't, you can't party with the Philistines very long before you lose it all, right? Your heirs and sons and daughters, the enemy will take it from you eventually. And I believe the enemy calculated David exactly when it was a really bad circumstance and the enemy just put it all together and timed that perfectly in an effort to try to destroy David. But he underestimated David because David remembered the Lord. It's like, wait a second here. Jesus loves me, right? God's for me. I'm a covenant son, right? You guys know the story. You know, look, read the story, but you know the story of the prodigal, which is another story. So when Jesus is not preached or embraced, what happens is, is when God is not remembered, hopelessness enters the land. When the church fails to preach Christ crucified and resurrected, when the voice of the church and the, the, the administration of the gospel in the earth is not happening, hopelessness enters the earth. Wealth becomes idolized, truth is minimalized, life is trivialized, conscience is desensitized, media is vulgarized, education is secularized, immorality is popularized, moral and ethics liberalized, sin is legitimized, and society becomes paralyzed. That's what happens, right? It's exactly, does that sound familiar? That sounds extremely familiar, right? So my challenge to you as a group of people is this year, 2022, is to go all in. Stop dealing with your faith in half measures. Go all in, right? Take the red pill, Neo. Go down the rabbit hole. Go further than you've ever been. Do what you've never done. Say, if I want what I've never had, I must do what I've never done. Do you want what you've never had this year? then you've got to be willing to do what you've never done. If you keep doing the same thing, what are you going to get? The exact same thing. You have to be willing to break out of old habits, hang-ups, hurts, hindrances. You have to be willing to come out of that. And what's that look like? Number one, give up your excuses. Give up your excuses. Stop making excuses. Last week, second service, I taught the same message. This is a little different than first service this week, but I was teaching the same message. And I was talking about uh, making Jesus your non-negotiable. You know, like how we sell out Jesus. And as I'm saying it, I literally heard the Lord say, I'm the first one they sell out. Jesus cannot be negotiable to you, Christian. What does that look like? I mean, when we sell Jesus out, if there's something better to do on a Sunday, you go and do that. You're negotiating Jesus. Ladies, if you're going to date a guy and he asks you to compromise your faith or give up your faith, he's asking you for a non-negotiable. That cannot be negotiable. Gentlemen, same thing. This cannot be negotiable. Faith is not negotiable. If that girl cannot come where you are, then you cannot go where she is. If that dude cannot come where you are, then you cannot go where he is. 
And the reality of that is, is you say, yes, I can. And I'm like, yeah, you sure you can. But you'll, in, you'll inherit the, cons, the, the, uh, the results of that choice. And it will be hurtful and it will be painful. It's an inevitability. I mean, probably last year I dealt with two women whose lives just turned into frappe because they started dating guys and they come to me and they're like, oh, pastor, I found this boyfriend and he's just really great and everything, but he just really doesn't, he doesn't really, he's kind of not saved yet. He kind of doesn't like the Lord and he really doesn't want me coming to church on Sundays anymore. So he probably won't be seeing me anymore. And I was just like, okay. And I looked at her and I said, he is asking you for a non-negotiable. And I said, you are willing to give up a non-negotiable and frappe became her life. I had a somebody else, same thing. Same thing, kept making those choices. And I'm like, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. You don't believe that God is good. You believe a lie, that you're not worthy of God's best, and you believe a lie that God's not good, and he won't give you his best. And so therefore, you sell yourself cheap, and you sell yourself in a low, out, in a low manner, and you give up and you trade Jesus, because you believe a lie. <gasps> Pastor, you're sitting on my couch eating Doritos. I don't like you. <laughs> But this is what happens. If you, so I, I just want to point this out to you just real quick. All through the books of the prophets, right? So we have, I don't know, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all of these are the same thing. Haggai, Habakkuk, Malachi, Zephaniah. Um, every one of these books, the, the, the people of Israel are calling on the Lord. So, say this with me. Jesus does not answer a question. I'm not asking. Jesus does not answer the questions unless they are formatted correctly, right? He doesn't. If you want God to answer you, you have to ask the right question. He will. He'll answer you. He'll answer you in technicolor. If you want God to answer you, you have to ask the right question and you have to ask it in the right format. Israel, in all of those books, so the prophetic books, God was giving prophets to his people and in every one of these books, the people were asking the same thing. Where are you, God? Where are you, Lord? Why is my life the same? Why is nothing changes? Where's the promises of the fathers? Where are you? And in every single situation, every single one, the Lord said, I've not forsaken you, you've forsaken me. Right? Every single one. You rob me, right? You strike with the fist. You, you call my Sabbath a burden. Every single one. The Lord says, your life is is as it is because you refuse to fully integrate it with mine. And until you're willing to fully integrate your life with mine, don't expect anything to change. Oh, you'll survive. Don't worry. You're going to survive. I tell Christians all the time, your survival is your inheritance. But destiny is not. Destiny and significance is not your inheritance. Survival is your inheritance. God guarantees your survival. He will supply for your needs but he won't supply for your wants and your desires. Yes, he will, not if you don't delight yourself in him, which is what? Integrating your life into him. Until you're willing to integrate your life into him, the transformative power of his kingdom cannot manifest and will not manifest. And the best thing you're ever going to experience is measure. Measure. Most Christians don't even have measure. So there's two concepts in the scripture. Say it with me. There's measure and there's fullness. And you're going to ask yourself the question, which one do I want? Which one do you want? Fullness. You know what it requires? Full integration. If you cannot fully integrate, then you're only going to have measure. And people say, no, I'll get fullness and I don't have to fully integrate. Read James. You're double-minded in all your ways. Expect that you'll receive nothing from the Lord because the Lord calls for full integration in order to receive fullness. And you say, I don't have to have full integration, but I want fullness. God, James is like, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it until you fully integrate and make the decision that I'm going to, Jesus is no longer negotiable for me in any way. Jesus is first in every way. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm making the conscious decision that I'm going to integrate every part of my life with Jesus. The Lord loves you so much that you can choose against him and he'll still accept you. He'll leave you at measure. He let Israel die on the other side of the promised land. Did you know that? Because they refused to fully integrate their lives. They would not get Egypt out of them. God got them out of Egypt, but they never took Egypt out of them. They continued to operate in cultural ways that were foreign to the Lord. And the Lord said, it doesn't work like that. You will not cross that river until you integrate. And they refused to integrate, and a whole generation died 
Oh, they died blood-bought. They died being redeemed. They were redeemed. They came out of Egypt. They belonged to the Lord. They just never inherited promises. Big difference. No, God's going to do it. No, you'll die in the wilderness just like every previous generation until you learn to fully integrate. It's just a fact, right? And people go, I don't really want to fully. There are people that don't want to fully integrate. They're satisfied, you know? They're satisfied with measure. They're satisfied living hand to mouth. They're satisfied. If that's you, hey, that's great. Or they think they can build something on their own. Well, go ahead and build it on your own. You can. Human ability, we're created with this amazing human ability where we can create crazy things. You can create empirical businesses, right? You can create relationships. You can create, but when the storm comes, what happens? You can build houses. That's what Jesus was saying, right? If you don't build your house on the rock, what happens? You build it on the sand. So you're capable of building a house without him. You're capable of building a life without him. But Jesus said there is inevitable storms that will come and the storm tests what you built it on. And when you build it with you, you, when you lose it, that's the issue. So you have to give up your excuses. This is a challenge. Say it with me. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. Okay, so it's 2022. We're supposed to want to be different, right? We're on the cusp of a new year, aren't we? Right? This is why we do New Year's resolutions. We do New Year's resolutions because we want this year to be the year, right? We want it to be better. In order for this year to be better, you, you have to be challenged. You have to, if there, there's no challenge, there is no change. You have to be willing to confront the things that are issues in your life or things that are there that prevent you from becoming that. Or you can stay the same. Look, man, Jesus is easy. He'll take it piecemeal. He'll work with you a little at a time. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to overwhelm you. You may see, I got 50 areas of dysfunction. And Jesus is like, well, let's work on two. Let's work on three. You know, and then next year, let's work on two and let's work on three and let's map this thing out over the next four or five years and let's transform you into a different person. Or you can be Geronimo. I'm the Geronimo guy. I'm like, burn it all down. You know what I mean? Take me apart and throw the pieces on the ground. I don't care. Jump out of the plane without a parachute. I don't care. I don't care. But if, if that's too much for you, he'll work with you. Neither one. It's all relative. It's relative. It's relative to where you're at. According to your faith, so be it unto you. God will work to you at the measure of which you are willing to believe him. Hmm? And you can believe him in fullness, or you can believe him in measure. And he will work to, with you according to the level of faith that you apply towards him. All right? Give up your excuses. Say it up. Give up my excuses. Right? Everybody's got a better idea. Jesus is the only good idea. Do the basics. Read your Bible. Pray. Commit and connect to church. Financially give and live on mission. That's the radical five. Minimum standard of all discipleship are those five things. You will go no further than those five things. If you cannot operate in those five areas of your life consistently, I didn't say perfectly, say it with me. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Jesus isn't interested in perfection. He's interested in direction. And ultimately, I get these holiness people that always come to me on this conversation. We're supposed to be holy. I'm like, yeah, how's that working? Right? None of us are perfect, nor will we ever be. We're being perfected. Right? And what Jesus is interested in you is the direction of your life, that I am committed to this direction. And if I fall, I'm getting up and going again. If I get distracted, I'm resetting and going again. That's what he's interested in. Come on. Come on. It's true. It's not about perfection, it's about direction, and that should set you free. And you just need to make that conscious choice. But you have to get those five areas operating in your life. You have to identify and deal with your dysfunctions. <gasps> Ready? Hold the chair. Right, grip the chair. Hold the chair. Hold it real tight. Right? Say this. Pastor Kevin is my friend. He loves me. <laughs> now hold the chair. Keep holding it. I want you to say this. Say this. I'm dysfunctional, whether I realize it or not. You are. Every single one of you are dysfunctional. You know why I am too, right? We present this Christianity where everything's airtight and nobody has any dysfunctions. It's a total lie. It's a total facade. Believe me, I get around, I've been around pastors whose lives are so airtight, you would think they're the incarnation of Jesus himself, right? But the backstory of their life is anything but. It's messy, you know? And I grew up around that, and I said, that's not what I'm gonna, that was the deal I made when I became a pastor. I'm like, Lord, I can't be that. You know, you want, that's going to come out somehow. I just, I'm not going to be able to pretend I'm something I'm not. I just can't do it, you know? And I'm like, so I'm going to put my guts on the table. And Jesus is like, great, put your guts on the table, Kevin. And so the goal, the goal is, is that we're all on this journey. 
different varying levels of this journey. And so the, the, I want a real faith that works in real time. I'm not interested in facades. I'm not interested in plastic substitutes. I want a real faith that works in real time. I want kingdom power in my world. I want to see manifest. I don't, I'm not interested in, in knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I'm interested in knowledge that brings forth and reinforces the kingdom. I want experiential power and a living faith. And you should too. Anybody want that? Huh? You want to see power in your life? You have victory on every front. You're above only and not beneath. Who, want, who doesn't want that? Right? I'm above only and not beneath. Every area of your life is victory. You're made for victory. You have to identify and deal with your dysfunctions. And we all got them. It's a happy day. Welcome to the world. Right? Your dysfunctions, your habits, your hurts, your hang-ups, your hindrances, that's what's holding you back. The way that you think, the way that you act, sometimes are hindrances to what God wants to do. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you're, not re you're, you're, you're rejected. You're always accepted. It just means these are things in your life that are hindering you, right? You know, it's like you love your kid, but if your kid won't do, your home, won't do their homework, but mommy, I want A's in my classes. Son, you gotta do your homework. I don't wanna do my homework, but I want A's in my classes. You still love the kid, right? Yeah? But he's hindering himself or she's hindering themselves because they won't do what's necessary to get what it is that they want. You have to commit to what is real and stop accepting plastic substitutes. This is a word for the modern church. The emperor has no clothes. We, we, we create plastic counterfeits and we try to pretend, you know. We create these illusions of something that is real when it's not. It's just what we do. Jesus isn't interested in numerical value. He's interested in effectiveness. Numerical value is something that's celebrated by God. Right? Now, do we want more people here? Yeah, sure, fill the church. Let's go overflow. Let's take the city. I'm all in. But we want effectiveness more than we want anything else. Why? Because that's what Jesus wants. He wants effectiveness. With 350 people, he overturned a nation. You understand that? With 12, he overturned continents. He didn't need 12 million. He needed 12 fully devoted, all-in believers. He needed 350 fully committed from Gideon, all-in. And he kept weeding it down until he found 350 that were willing to go all in. That's what he wants. That's what he can use. And so God can use you if you'll go all in. He can change everything around you if you'll go all in. Say, I don't know what, what all in looks like. Well, stick around. We'll help you. We'll help you. Again, it's not perfection. It's direction. There are two things that he's interchangeable. Here's Hebrews 6. These two things that are, that are unchangeable. God cannot lie. When he makes a promise, he cannot lie. When he makes an oath, he cannot lie. These things are to encourage us. They give us strength to hold on to and give us the hope that we have been given. For we have this as a hope, for our anchor, as a hope and it is an anchor for our soul. It is sure and strong. Our hope comes from the person of Jesus and it comes from the fact that he can't lie. He cannot lie. The Lord can't lie, Christian. He can't lie. What he says, he means. What he means, he says. What he says, he does. What he does, he says. You understand? He can't lie. Here's how deep this goes. Say this with me. He actually believes everything I say. This is how it works. Love believes all things. Jesus actually believes you when you say it. He doesn't even doubt. This is how, this is how foreign lies are to the Lord. The concept of a lie does not even exist in him. He believes you when you say it. That's why when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, you're saved, right? He believes you when you say it. You don't have to convince him. He merely believes you. When you say, Lord, I'll go, he believes you. When you say, Lord, I'll do it, he believes you. You may not believe you. Everybody around you may not believe you, but the Lord always believes you. I told the story of a guy one time I led this guy to Jesus and he's standing in front of me and he's got his hands in his pockets and he's chewing gum. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm like, look, I'm serious, man. I'm looking at this guy like, are you for real? You know, and I'm just watching him. And, and this guy became an extremely on fire believer. He wasn't convincing me, but because the Lord took him at his word, Jesus came into his heart, right? Because he takes you at your word. You don't have to convince him, you know? That, that's just, that's how crazy this is. He can't lie. He can't lie. There's certain concepts within this kingdom that we have to understand, though. We have to understand partnership. If we don't understand partnership, God can say, I want to use you to affect destiny. And you say, Lord, what does that look like? And he gives you that. 
and you say, the Lord told me he's going to affect destiny. How's he going to affect destiny? He's going to begin with my family, and he's going to begin to affect destiny and change within my family through my life. Right? He's not going to do that without you. You've got to realize that. Just because God says it, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're to be passive. It means you're to be active in that role. So when God tells you he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You got a promise? Has anybody got a promise God's going God's to change the situation for you? Anybody facing a bad situation? When you ask the Lord, he said, I'm going to change it, right? You ever heard him say that? He's going to do it? He's going to do it. If, it. if it involves you, it involves your participation. If it doesn't involve you, you can, you can cash the check. He's going to do it. If there's nothing required on your part, God will do it, unquestionably. But if there's something that's required, that's why when he tells me things, I'm like, is there anything required of me? And he'll just like sit down and shut up. You know what he's told me? Many times when I've faced impossible situations, you will speak no criticism of this circumstance. You will speak, if you cannot speak life, Kevin, then shut up. <gasps> Jesus wasn't talk like that. He's a king, man. He gives orders sometimes. It's not always daddy, 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 daddy. You know, we think everything's daddy, 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 daddy. It's not, sometimes it is. A lot of times it is. But when you're talking, when you're dealing with a king and you're dealing with a king who's got his armor on and he's going to go to war for you, he doesn't have time to have a conversation. He's saying, listen, I'm going to do this. Sit down and shut up, right? Don't question me right now. Just be quiet and let me do what I do. And he does it. You have to ask him a lot of times when God is telling you to do something, Lord, does this require anything of me? This is why prophetic culture is so important, Christian. Because if you don't understand how to and discern the Lord's voice, you're not going to operate in kingdom. Prophetic is the baseline of kingdom. Prophet breathes king. Through the prophetic, we enter into a priestly ministry and engagement with him to manifest kingdom. This is, it's, it's important. The voice of God is everything. The voice is what led them out of Israel. The voice is what Jesus said they will follow. My sheep hear my voice. It's the voice of the word. Yeah, it's the voice of the word, but it's also the prophetic voice of his spirit. It's not just the voice of the word. That's only one element of it. He'll give you a personal word to you directly. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? He'll, he'll speak to you directly in a manner that no verse can. And I'm a biblicist, right? I'm all in on the Bible. I'm, I'm biblified. I love the scripture. But I love his voice more than I love the scripture. His voice, he speaks like no other. <laughs> when he talks, <laughs> his majesty, it's majesty. And I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm an addict for his voice. I am holistically addicted to his voice because I come alive when he speaks. And he speaks, and nobody talks like him. I mean, nobody. I, I've never heard anybody talk like him. Even when he corrects you, it's freaking cool. I'm like, did you just correct me? That was the coolest correction I've ever heard, man. That was crazy good, you know? Wow. <laughs> and you can hear it. It's given to you as a promise. It just depends on your yearning. It depends on your longing. There's certain factors that come into that. Everything I'm saying is generic. There's certain things that contribute to that, to beginning to hear clearly what he's saying. But you have the capacity to do it. All of you do. All of you. Sons and daughters will prophesy, which means you can see, hear, and feel as your father does. You have access to the mind of Christ, which means you can think as he thinks. Right? You ever tried that? It's crazy. You have that power. You have that potential. It's in the now. It's not in the sweet by and by. It's in the rotten here and now. You have it. Hope is trust in the character and nature of Jesus. He can't lie. Here's a good one. If we, if we are faithless, he is faithful. I love that one. Anybody been faithless and the Lord's been faithful to you? Yeah? You've done the stupidest thing. You did exactly what he told you not to do. Or you did what you knew you shouldn't have done and the Lord, the Lord did it anyway. Because it's not about you. I'm not telling you to be faithless, but I am telling you that he's so good that if you're faithless, he'll be faithful. Good and perfect comes from Jesus and his desire is abundant life. When, if it's not, say this with me. If there's something in my life that is not good and perfect, it is not from the Lord. If there's something in my life that is not producing abundant life, it is not from the Lord. People, you've got to get this right. This is a theological thing. Like what happens is we build this life off on this other way. And we'll say that sickness is of the Lord. We'll say that that circumstance is of the Lord. I got divorced because it was God's will. You did that research where, right? 
Look, divorce happens, I understand. Broken people, broken situations, broken choices. I get it, I get it. The reality is, is you didn't have the tools to deal with the complexity. She didn't have the tools to deal with the complexity. And most likely, because you didn't have the tools, both of you completely forsook the Lord. Therefore, the relationship broke down. But Jesus didn't break the relationship down. Jesus, well, God gave, God caused us to be divorced. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. God gave me this sickness. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Who told you that? Is, is that sickness good and perfect? Then where did, it didn't come from Jesus. Is that sickness producing abundant life? Then it didn't come from Jesus. There's a myriad of reasons why that sickness is there. There's a myriad of reasons why that circumstance is there, but it didn't come from the Lord. That's the first point of theology that you have to come to. If you cannot align with the goodness of God and the, and the goodness of God's character, everything you build is going to be crooked. Every single thing. We build off the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is God's goodness. It's hard for us because we believe everything is God's will. Who told you that? I told first service, if everything's God's will, why did Jesus tell us to pray for it? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Why are we praying for it? If everything's God's will, why are we praying for it? Not everything is God's will, Christian, right? Not everything is God's will. God's will is that everybody be saved. Will everybody be saved? So if God had his will in the earth, every single person would be saved. God wills that none, be, that none perish but all come to repentance. Is everybody coming to repentance? Nope. So it's not everything's God's will. So we've got to come to this place that God is good. This is in my life. I may not fully understand why these circumstances are as they are, but it is not from the Lord. And if you can't get to that place, there's something corrupted in your heart that will continually inhibit that relationship. And it will cause you to withdraw from the Lord. That's what, G that's what the devil does, is he creates these circumstances, people, places, and things, bad choices, iniquity in the bloodline. All of these things come into your life, right? Unbeknownst to you, some of it you did, some of it your ancestors did. No, that's not true. That's another story. Some of it people did, some of it places did, some of it things did, right? These things come into our life, they create this calamity, and the devil says, see, that's from God. God doesn't love you. If God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. The Bible never promises you that you won't go through anything. The Bible promises you victory for what you go through. That's the difference. You will pass through the fire, but you will not be burned. He didn't say you wouldn't go through the fire. You will go through the water, but, they will not overtake, but it will not overtake you. He didn't say you wouldn't go through the water. You're going to win. You're promised victory. You're not promised, you're not promised an absence of difficulty. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of processes and challenges along the way, but you are promised victory. Victory is of the Lord. Defeat never is. Another story for another day. Foolishness of man's choices corrupts his way, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Proverbs 19.13. We do stupid things, we create these messes, and our heart goes, you did this to me. Why are you doing this to me? God says your choices have corrupted you. No, where have you forsaken me? The Lord says, I have not forsaken you. You have forsaken me. Malachi 3. Why have you left us? We're your covenant people. The Lord said, I have not forsaken this covenant. You have forsaken this covenant. You've gone your own way. You've created idols in your own image. You worship everything but me. You know, you honor everything but me. You put everything before me. And yet you blame me. <laughs> That's what we do. By our own choices, we bring the calamity. Were our own refusals to become into the integrated life of with Christ. Genesis 14, here's, this is Cain, right? Cain, God did not respect Cain's offering. And Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Here's Cain's problem. So you have Cain and Abel, two sons of Adam, the, early, the first two sons of Adam. Everybody knew you're supposed to give an offering from the Lord. The offering, was, the offering is like day one. And man knew in his heart that he was supposed to honor the one that was greater than him. Man knew in his heart that he was supposed to honor the one that gave life to him. Man knew in his heart that in him they live, move, and have their being. So both Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. Abel brings his first and his best, and Cain brings the leftovers. Well, let me just put something together here, and he offers it to the Lord. And Jesus is like, I don't want it. He's like, if that's my value and worth to you, take it home with you, Cain. And Cain got angry. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry, Cain, and why is your countenance fall? If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you understand the principles and dynamics of honor, Cain, you will be accepted. If you understand the principles and the dynamics of honor, Cain, you will have access. But if you don't understand the principles and dynamics of honor, and you continue in a self-serving, arrogant way, sin lies at the door and desires you. But my will is that you master it. And what did Cain do? 
Cain killed his brother. Cain Cain could never master his selfishness. He could never master his ego. He could never master his pride, right? We have to come to that place. We can't expect God to do something on our terms. This is what he's doing, right? He's saying, well, this should be acceptable. And the Lord's like, that's not acceptable. I don't want your broken. I don't want your lame, you know? People come and donate furniture at the church. They give us three-legged tables. I'm like, if your grandma don't want the three-legged table, Jesus doesn't want the three-legged table. I don't think there's anybody in this church. Well, we just thought we'd donate this so somebody in the church could use it. I'm like, it's got three legs. You know what I'm saying? You know, or an office chair that breaks down, you know. I got like 10 of them in there, and they're all broken. We didn't break them. Somebody donated them. And we said, well, we'll just use them anyway, right? I'm like, why are you giving us the broken and the lame, right? And that's what the Lord says. You give me your broken, you give me your lame, you give me your after effects, but you expect me to, to accept that from you. You know, understand what I am. Understand who I am. Reasons for hopelessness. I'm going to close it real. I'm going to give you some reasons why you become hopeless, and I'm going to give you some reasons for hope. And I want to reinforce you with hope. I want you to have a platform to stand on, and I want you to have any reason that I can possibly give you, at least the nine that I'm about to, quickly, why you should have hope. But the reasons you have hopelessness, the reasons people feel hopeless, is they feel rejected, abandoned, or alone. They feel hopeless. They feel like they're left alone. They feel like they're unwanted. They feel like they're unloved. Jesus solves that problem right off the rip. He says, you're wanted. You're loved. Like, you don't know who I am. I was like, you don't know who he is. You don't know what I've done. I tell people, you don't know what he's done. He loves you. You are value and worth because he says so. You don't determine your value and worth. Your past doesn't determine your value and worth. Your choices don't determine your value and worth. Your circumstances don't determine your value and worth. Your family doesn't determine your value and worth. I don't care if you're the apple of your mom's eye. She, doesn't, she does not have the right to determine your value and worth. Only Jesus has the right to determine your value and worth. And your sons and daughters of the highest. That's the title he gives you off the rip. Can you imagine? I'd be like, well, you can work your way into that. You know, you know what I mean? Most of us would be like, you know, we're like kings or lords or whatever, and we adopt someone. We're like, well, let's let this son prove some faithfulness, and then we'll give him the title and the status. Jesus gives you title and status day one. <laughs> To those that have received God, to them he gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God. You're, you're accepted. People feel hopeless because they feel like there's no control. They feel like something's never going to change. This is a big reason for divorce. People think like nothing's going to change, nothing's ever going to change. Well, who told you that? Who told you it's not going to change? You feel like you don't have any control over your circumstances, that you're just the victim of your circumstances. If you're a Christian, you were never a victim. You were always a victor. You're never, even if your circumstances are victimizing you, you have victory over those circumstances. There is a way, to, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is a way, a path of victory somewhere in there. I don't care what your situation is. God will bring victory out of the worst circumstances. If you look to him, you're guaranteed to win. You're guaranteed. You can get on top of anything or you can allow everything to be on top of you. We tolerate it. As for me, I'm not saying I got it all figured out and I'm not saying I got my life in order completely the way that I want it, but I will be under nothing. The Bible promised me is above only and not beneath. So when there is nothing in my life that I will allow to be above me other than the Lord. No circumstance, no situation, nothing will rise above me. I will rise above it and I will stand in the place that God has given me. People are hopeless because they have no purpose or direction. And you should have that faith too. Where's your faith? No purpose or direction. Where is no vision, the people what? That's right. That word vision is God-given revelation. People become hopeless because they have no God-given revelation. God will give you a vision, a revelation of your future. He will show you who and what you are to him, and he will give you that direction. You all are entitled to it. You're entitled to it. He's Jehovah-Rohi, which means he's your shepherd. So part of your inheritance is the Lord will lead you. It's your inheritance. It's given to you. God will direct you. God will guide you. God will show you. The question is, is will you encounter him? The question is, is will you engage him? Will you learn his ways? You're like, I want to engage him, but I don't know how. You have to learn his ways. You have to learn him. He's alive. People don't move forward because they don't feel like they have what they need or they don't feel like they have what it takes. Who told you that? You got Jesus, you have everything that it takes. You cannot view your life from deficiency. You have to view your life from sufficiency. He's El Shaddai, which means he's all sufficient. That's your inheritance too. Your inheritance is in his name. You're sufficient. Everything the Lord sets before you, he provides the sufficiency for you to accomplish.
You don't have it in yourself. It's in him. People don't move forward because of guilt, shame, and regret. Past issues, past brokenness. I'll never love again. I'll never love again. You know, kind of thing. Whatever. So they can't move forward. They can't have hope because of something that hurt them in the past or guilt or shame. Or the wounds of other people. The wounds of the people, the places, the things, the wounds of themselves, the guilt and the shame of their own actions. This prevents people from having hope. Negative compulsions and inability to control negative behaviors. They feel like they can never get past it. I can never stop drinking. I can never stop this. I can never stop that. You know, negative compulsions leave people hopeless. Fear and anxiety leave people hopeless. And past failures leave people hopeless. Jesus doesn't want you hopeless, man. So I'm going to give you some reasons for hope. Anybody want some reasons for hope? Yeah, let's go. Number one, your heavenly Father will never leave you or abandon you. You're not alone. You are loved on your worst day. Your friends may abandon you. Your mother and father may abandon you. Everybody in the world may abandon you. The Bible goes as far as to say, if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. That's an absolute promise. God will never forsake you. Everybody else may. Even the mother that birthed you may forsake you. Even the father that brought you forward may forsake you. That's what it's using. It's using extreme examples. Everybody may forsake you, but I will not forsake you. I want you. They may not want you, but I want you. They may not love you, but I love you. They may not see you with value and worth, but I see you with value and worth. Is that beautiful? I mean, who's like that? I mean, we offend each other so quickly. Oh, I love you. You're such my friend. And then we offend each other. And I don't want anything to do with you. You know, look how easily we're offended. You know, Jesus is able to see us in spite of our offenses and he loves us anyway. You're loved on your worst day. You're not an orphan. Number two, your inheritance is greater than any problem. There's not one problem in your life that God has not given you an access to within your inheritance to solve that problem, right? You need wisdom, Jehovah Shema. You have the mind of Christ. You have the presence of the Lord, the mind of Christ. Ephesians 1 says that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling and the richness of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul's praying for a church, and he says, I need you guys to understand what the richness of the inheritance is. You have an inheritance, the way we dumb it down is we think our inheritance is salvation. Yeah, part of it. Yeah, in Jesus, the one who saves me, I have inheritance. In Jehovah Makadash, I have righteousness. I'm right before the Lord, not based upon me, but based upon him. Right? Who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anybody. I'm who he says I am. I have righteousness in the Lord, which means I have a right to approach. I have a rightful position before my father. I can stand before the court of heaven. I can decree. I can pray. Not because of my righteousness, but because of his. It's my inheritance. It is mine by rights. I have a right to healing. It is my birthright. Right? Y'all ever see me lay hands on people? What do I do? I position them. It's all about positioning. I tell them, this is who I am. You serve and notice everybody around you, including yourself, that healing is my birthright. I take my rightful place and I lay claim to my birthright. It's not one problem you've presented to you that God has not answered in, within your inheritance. Jesus will work it out. This is the, thick and the next reason I have hope, right? Why should you have hope? Because the Lord's going to work it out. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to, your per to his purpose. Can we talk about this? How many train wrecks have you had and Jesus turned it around, Right? And if you look at the train wrecks where Jesus didn't turn it around, it's because you didn't involve him. I know person after person after person after person after person, they go and completely blow their life apart. I'm talking TNT, right? I don't even know. C4, nuclear drop, boom. Christians go out there and blow their world apart, and they come back, and the Lord turns it all around. And they're like, you think God's going to turn around? I'm like, I know he's going to turn it around. I said, the issue isn't whether he's going to turn it around. The issue is the inevitability. It's just an issue of time. And it doesn't going to take a long season. You took eight years to blow it out. He's probably going to take a year to put it all back together. Right? You know? It's true. It's true. And he turns it around in a very short amount of time. I know people go out there and they do, they do crazy stuff for two, three years. They come with all these brokenness and all these bags, come limping back in the door. You know? Triage. Can God change it? I'm like, yes, he can change it. It takes a willful commitment from you and an allowance on your part to let him partner with you and he will change it. Come on, he will turn it around. 
It's with him, without him. God's going to turn around. Why should you not have hope? I tell people even the most worst circumstances, even when you go and you make your stupid choices and you're like, I'm going to run. It's Isaiah. The Lord said, I wanted to be gracious to you. I wanted to love you. I wanted to draw you close, but you would not. You said, I will run. And the Bible says, and run you shall. But what pursues you will be faster than you. And you will find yourself standing on a hill, stripped down, and a pole exposed before the Lord. He says, I want you to come to me so I can give you destiny. He says, but you said, nah, I'm going to run. And the Lord's like, and run you shall. But what pursues you is faster than you. And that enemy will overtake you. And he will take everything from you. And you will be standing on a pole, barren and stripped. And you know what, you know what the most beautiful part of that verse is? Is the next line. It says, but the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. I will wait for you. I will watch this whole thing play out. I'll watch you run. I'll watch you get overtaken. I'll watch you get stripped of everything. And I'll watch you become vulnerably and exposed before the world. And I'll wait. And I'll wait the whole time. And I'll wait for you to ask me. And when you ask me, I'll intervene. It's who he is. It's who he is. If Jesus loves me, he wouldn't let me become a spectacle. No, he loves you enough to let you become a spectacle. What have we learned, Kevin? <laughs> what have we learned? <laughs> I've learned that it's better to be with you, Jesus. It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of your my God than to dwell in the richness and the palaces of wickedness. That's what I've learned. <laughs> with you on a bad day is better than the world on a good day. That's what I've learned. Jesus is going to work it out, Christian. You've not gone too far. Who told you that? Say it with me. The Lord will meet the need. Say it with me, survival's guaranteed. It's guaranteed, Christian. He's gonna, you're going to survive. He guarantees survival. Guarantees. It's guaranteed. He doesn't guarantee success or significance. That's the second part. That requires you to participate, but survival is guaranteed. You want success and significance? Well, that's next level. That requires something of you. But he, will leave, he leaves an inheritance to all of his people that you will survive. The, young will uh, the righteous will never be forsaken, nor will their seed beg for bread. David said, I've lived this my entire life, and I've never seen God forsake the righteous. Never. He'll, you, he will provide for you. He'll, you'll survive even without, even without even knowing you're surviving. He'll take care of you. There's, there's the next one. There's forgiveness and restoration. Why should you have hope? You don't know what I did. Jesus said, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and I'll purify and cleanse you of all the unrighteousness. <laughs> oh, I'm so bad. I've made so many mistakes, man. There's hope. God will forgive you. He'll take you back every single time, right? I'll give you a quick story, right? You want one more quick story? I got two more and I'm going to be done, right? You want a quick story? Yeah, okay. I only need one. Sure, he's like, stop asking that. <laughs> he's like, just make you talk longer. <laughs> prodigal son. It's important that you know this. Prodigal son ran. Prodigal son was raised in godliness. He went off, took his inheritance, wasted it all. He had this whole speech prepared. He's going to go back to his father. He's like, my father's servants have more to eat than me. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven and you, right? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me in as one of your servants. So the son had his speech prepared. When I see my dad, this is what I'm going to say. His dad sees him. Father runs to him and meets him. Say it with me. The father accepted the repentance, but he would not allow the son to diminish his identity. Read the story. He never got it out of his mouth. He said, I've sinned against heaven and earth. And I, no, you're not saying that. No, Jesus will take the repentance, but he will never allow you to diminish your identity. You are a son and a daughter to him. Always, now and forever. It's beautiful. You don't, you don't give up your rights as a son and daughter just because you've forsaken the Lord. When you come back, you're still a son and a daughter. Right? It's who he is. I mean, we'd kick people out. We'd strip them of every title they ever had, wouldn't we? Isn't that the way we roll? Well, oh, you're going to sin? You're no longer a son. You go out and work the barnyard, boy. Right? That's how we roll. That's not how he rolls. Jesus said, put his ring of authority on him. Put the robe of his dignity upon him and create a feast. For the one who was lost is now found. The one who was forgotten has now come home. Right? Restoration of rights of inheritance immediately. Immediately. Nobody like Jesus, Christian. Nobody like him. Nobody like him. Nobody. Not now, not ever. No one is like Mr. Wonderful. 
He is Mr. Wonderful. Willful forgiveness enables Jesus to settle the score. Okay, so I'm just going to say this. Why is there hope? People have hurt you and you want vengeance. Anybody with me? Huh? Come on. You have dreams of running them over with your car, don't you? You know what I mean? <laughs> At least hitting them, you know? You want to inflict the pain upon them that they put pain upon you. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Then he says this, I am ready to judge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God will fulfill, God will judge the disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So oftentimes when we want God to bring us retribution, and we all want retribution, and if you don't, come on up here and confess yourself as a liar because I know, right? If you don't have a hard time forgiving, you've not been hurt deeply enough. People that say, oh, I can forgive everyone. No, you can. You've not been hurt deeply enough. You can consciously forgive, but the pain of that forgiveness will linger with you because it hurt you deeply. God will avenge those. He will set everything right once you've done what's right in your mind, right? Maybe you did something retaliatory, and God's like, look, I can't judge that. I can't make that right because you took it upon yourself to blast that all over social media and completely rip and shred that person's character. Now, as much justification as you feel that you had, that's not right in my eyes. And so I cannot get around that in order to get to that. So you need to make that right, and when your obedience is fulfilled, then I'll deal with that. Right? So true. Right? We, we, have to, we have to ask the Lord in these circumstances, is there any area here, Lord, that I've not been obedient? I want retribution. <laughs> I know you guys are like, Pastor right? You're all acting so dignified like there's nobody that hurt you or took anything from you or stole anything from you or ripped you off of anything at all that doesn't hurt you. And may that be so. May that never happen. But life inevitably causes you pain. It does. And we're, we're oftentimes we're entitled, to, we're entitled to a vindication at some point. But we have to trust the Lord to bring that vindication. We can't take matters into our own hands as much as, it, as, much as we want to, as much as we want to fire off that email as much as we want to write that article, right? And start that telephone ministry. We just can't do it, right? Freedom is available for your hurts and hangups. Have hope. You say, I'm too much of a screw-up. I'm too dysfunctional. Who told you that? There's hope. Deliverance is available. Restoration is available. And here's the last two. These are good. No power greater than Jesus. This is important. It doesn't matter what you're facing. You can have hope because why? Say it with me. Greater is he that is in me than is he that is in the world. There's no power, greater power than Jesus, so have hope. Have hope. You have the power of God inside of you. You carry resurrection power. Nothing that is lost that cannot be regained. You carry the anointing and are clothed with the glory from on high. Do you understand that? Do you understand who you are in the earth? You are heirs of his world and the one to come, of this world and the one to come. You are. You may not know how to, again, manifest that, but the truth is, is this is what you are. And that power resides in the presence and the person of Jesus who lives in you. There's nothing that can overcome you that cannot be overcome by you in Christ. Nothing. Nothing. I have seen the worst financial situations turn around. I have seen the worst relational situations turn around. I have seen it, the, the most shot out people become the most whole. There's nothing. There's nothing. And there's no power greater than Jesus. Have hope. And he's in you right? He's in you. Lastly, this isn't the end of the story. Happy day. <laughs> this world isn't it, man. Why should I have hope? Because my story doesn't end here. Revelation 21, the Lord, this is the coming Messiah and the coming of his kingdom. He will wipe away the tears from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Neither shall there be any more pain. And the Lord says, for the former things have passed away. And here's, this is so cool. And I heard the one who sat upon the throne say, behold. Anytime Jesus says, behold, you need to behold. I make all things new. Behold, I'm going to make everything new. All right? And he said unto me, write these words, for what I say is faithful and true. It's not the end of your story. Have hope. Your story's still being written, Christian. He's the God of the turnaround. He's going to turn it all around. You have a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11, to give you a hope and a future. This is your destiny. It's who you are. There's no reason for you to not have hope. You can have hope out of the circumstances. 
The heart of this church is to not let you, not to minister to you solely in your circumstances, but to take you further. Anybody like living in their circumstances? I can't stand living in my circumstances, right? You want to see me put a rag on my head and a knife in my teeth? Just put me in circumstances I don't want to be in, right? I'm fighting my way forward because my destiny is not to be subjugated to my circumstances. You have a destiny. You have a life to bring into this world. You have a purpose to bring into this world. You have hope to bring into this world. This is what we're here to do, right? You guys with me? Yes? All right, let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you so much for this beautiful people, this beautiful church. I put your life into them. Lord, I speak hope. I speak hope, Lord. You lead them through the valley of hope, Lord. Those who feel that it's hopeless, Lord, we just renounce that lie in the name of Jesus. And Father, I release an impartation of hope. Hope, Lord, and faith for the future. I give you the glory for that, Lord. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have a prayer team available. Yeah, we got ministry rally over here. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. All right. Bless you guys.